0: All right, so we're, I I get to wrap up uh, the end of this series that we're in called Here. And as a church, uh, we are here. Like, we believe very much that God has placed us here in Bowling Green in Northwest Ohio, and we have a purpose. And we want to talk about that purpose, and we want to be challenged on that purpose, and we want to live that purpose out together. And so the last three weeks we've been talking really challenging you guys to to move out in the way that God calls us to move out to to love those uh, in our community um, in practical ways with the things that we say and then also like how it is that we live and then what we do Uh, and then today I'm going to be wrapping up with talking about celebration and the place of celebration in the midst of the mission Uh, And I think uh, what you will find is that God has specifically designed celebration to be part of of our moving out towards a mission. Uh, And it's very important that we are celebratory people. It's so important that God actually commands us to engage in celebration with one another. Um but uh over the last couple of weeks we kind of talked about uh sharing and showing the love of God. Uh we've talked about uh how it is that our passions, our alignment with our people, allows us to have these opportunities where we get to engage with others. Uh and then also that that we are called to to love others. And it's not just an emotion or feeling, but we're actually called to, to give our lives away to like other people. And so we've kind of covered uh that ground over the last couple of weeks. Um so it was spring break and I was at grandma and grandpa's house. Uh, grandma and grandpa had a house up north, and they also had a house down south in Florida. And so me, my, well, me and myself, uh, my sister and my mom, we were down in our grandparents' house down in Florida, and you know, you go to Florida, it's March, it's April, you know, you want to hit the beaches, you want to swim, but it also rains in Florida. And when it rains, and you're like stuck indoors, and you're like, what am I going to do? And you're a kid, you're like, it's so easy to become bored. It's not like grandma and grandpa had, like, an Xbox or anything like that around for us. No, no kids' toys, you know. Grandma didn't like smudges, so you couldn't be too, you know, rambunctious around the house. And so my sister Sarah and I were like, we've got to find something to do. Well, let's start snooping around. That seemed like a good idea. Let's start snooping around into grandma and grandpa's stuff. And so we were in the guest bedroom, and uh, we uh, went into, like, this closet you know that didn't have anything uh, of particular importance we're like hey let's find out like what's in here and we happen upon a whole stack of like old photo albums and now so old photo albums where everything's like classified right it's all organized you know summer of 1964 family vacation you know that sort of thing uh you know Church potluck, 1981, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, so my sister and I are pulling these things out one by one. Oh, that's what grandma and grandpa looked like when they were in their 30s. Oh, grandpa had so much more hair, you know, all that kind of... Man, grandma's kind of really pretty, you know? And so we happened upon a certain photo album that completely blew my perception of my grandparents. It wrecked my world, wrecked my world, now you gotta understand, Grandma and Grandpa were like good Presbyterian folk is who they were. Like my concept of Grandma and Grandpa like having fun was probably like going antiquing on the weekend, you know. Grandpa listening to Rush Limbaugh or like, you know, following the stocks, you know, like that sort of thing. Uh, Again, no smudges around the house, you know. Uh, And so, you know, Grandma and Grandpa like never, never said any sort of like curse words or anything like that. You know, the evening turn in was around 830, get a warm glass of milk and some cookies and, you know, eat those and then go to bed, you know. And so that's Grandma and Grandpa to me. And so we, we open up this photo album and I'm just, I'm shocked they have these, they're photos of my grandparents having these wild parties at their house in their late 60s. They're not like in their 30s or in their 20s. These weren't like from the good old days. These were like within the last year or two, grandma and grandpa throwing these bangers in their house, drinking and celebrating with their friends. We're like, man, grandma and grandpa, like we did not know they were cool like this, you know. And so, in my mind, it was sort of like, you know, you party for pleasure, right? And that's sort of like what you do, like, when you're young. And then when you get old, you do, like, do things that are much more predictable. You know, go to McDonald's every morning at six and drink your coffee, you know. But grandma and grandpa are, like, loving life. And as I've, like, matured and grown, you know, I've realized that we are created to love and enjoy life. But then also, like, my grandparents were faithful people. I mean, they loved God. And in my mind, it was like, sort of like, if you love God, you don't do anything exhilarating like that, you know, nothing that gets your heartbeat up over like, you know, 65, you know? And so, you know, I wrecked my work, it, it, this tension of like, no, actually, like, you can love God and also enjoy life and enjoy other people, and it's part of your faith. It's part of what we're called to do. And what we're going to find here this morning is that God calls us people to be a celebratory people. God's people are a celebratory, excited, partying group of people. Celebrating does something for us spiritually that's important for us to be aware of as we engage in celebration. So our text this morning is going to be out of Joshua. Now, um, it's really this cool, I think, moment in history where we see God's people take up celebration at this time that seems somewhat out of the ordinary, when we, again, when we think of celebration, we think of pleasure-seeking, and we think like, hey, you know, we won the big game and the big championship, let's celebrate. But, but this moment where Israel picks up celebration is really interesting because it, it communicates something about who they are and their identity uh, towards God. Now, the backdrop of our story this morning, okay, there is some history to it. You know, like most traditional celebrations, right, Thanksgiving has a history. This story has a history to it. Let me try to run through it as quickly as I can. This morning, Israel, they were, as a nation, as, a, as, as, a, as, as an ethnic group, they were enslaved to Egypt. They were slaves. And if we're familiar with Egypt and slavery, it was back-breaking slavery, you know, building, you know, these pyramids. And that was Israel's past. They were locked there. And then God miraculously brought them out of that using Moses and so if we're familiar, God brought them out through the, the plagues and the parting of the Red Sea, they crossed the sea, and so God miraculously brings them out of this place of slavery out to freedom, because he he's wanting to make a people for himself. He's wanting them to be, to be free, not just from f- slavery, but free to be a part of something, to actually be His people, and to live that out together, to belong to that together. Well once they kind of leave that, Israel then wanders in the wilderness. For 40 years. Not because God wanted them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. It's because God wanted to bring them into a plentiful land for them to be able to inhabit and be able to cultivate. But Israel refused to go in, they refused. And so God said, oh, we're going to like let you wander here until this generation dies off and then your, your sons, you know, your daughters will be the ones will, that will then inherit the land that I was trying to give them. And we see kind of in this wandering time, Israel continues to, to struggle in taking up this identity, uh, taking up uh, who God has like called them to be. But finally, God brings them to this place where like they're ready. The new generation has been raised up and he now is sending them westward, all right, across the Jordan. They had, uh, in our story, they had just crossed the Jordan, and they're kind of on the cusp, about ready to take possession of this land that God had promised to give them, that they could settle in and then dwell in. And so what we're going to see uh, unfold is what happens before they then enter into this land God promised them. It says this in Joshua chapter 5, as soon as all the kings of the Amorites who are beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites... Who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives, and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gabeth Haraloth, and this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who had come out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the, until all the nation, the men of war, who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord." The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their place in the camp uh, until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gil- uh, Gilgal to this day. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month, in the evening on the plains of Jericho. In the day of the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land. Passover is a uh, traditional annual celebration that the people of Israel were given uh, in Egypt uh, that symbolize they're coming out, they're being bought uh, and covered to be God's people. I had a, a really fun conversation with um, a young college student uh, named Jacob, who's actually here this morning, um, and I asked Jacob, uh, I said, uh, why do people party? You know, why, why do people, like, go and, like, have fun? You know, beyond pleasure-seeking, do you mean, like, you know, it's, it's fun to party, but why do people, like, what do you think motivates them and compels them. And he said something really perceptive that's actually kind of like my outline uh, for this morning. Here's what Jacob said. Jacob said, uh, they go out uh, to socialize, you know, to have fun, you know, make friends. They go out for status. And they go out for stress relief. And I was like, yeah. And I, I think that we see all of these same things. Why do people go out to have a good time? They're not just looking just for a hedonistic, like, experience, I think that we're searching for something within. We're searching to belong, socializing, belonging, being a part of a people. We're searching for identity, status. Who am I? And we're looking for transcendence, that my life is beyond the anxieties and and the moment by moment, the day-to-day and grind that I live. I'm looking to transcend to something else. That celebration is not, Predominantly, I don't think for us, an opportunity for self-indulgence. But rather, celebrating is meaning mapping. Celebrating is meaning mapping. We, we are communicating who we are, what we're about, and the road that we're walking on, and where we're headed. And that's what Israel does right here. They're on the journey. They haven't arrived. They have not yet to possess what God has given them. And yet, they're on the road, and they celebrate to... Enter into, enter into this story that God has invited them. Celebrating his entrance into the greatest story humankind has ever known. It, it is a story that started from the very beginning with Adam and Eve, and it is a story that will end at the very end. And God has carried the story from that point to the final point of when it ends. And he has throughout generation after generation after generation been making a people for himself. That they might be in relationship with him, that they might experience his love, that they might then live it out. And God has been the one who's carried his people from all the the whole traverse of human history so far. It's a story of reconciliation, it's a story of buying back these people who had left him. Uh, I used to be a chapter advisor for a fraternity on campus, and so I, I had the privilege of sitting in some really interesting chapter meetings. I mean, these weren't like boring meetings. I mean, a bunch of like, you know, college dudes sitting around. Uh, You could bring some popcorn to some of those meetings and uh, be very, very entertained. Um, But a big part of uh, the chapter meeting was planning the party for that weekend. And and if you understand, or maybe you are part of like Greek life uh, in some form or fashion, partying isn't just, again, just, it's not just something fun to do. It is part of who you are. If you're a brother in the fraternity, you go to party. And so they would go to like great lengths. They would spend a a third or even a half of their chapter meeting planning that weekend's party. And you had all different types of, one, you had to have a theme. You had to have a theme and decorations and music. And so, you know, these guys would talk about like, uh, this was like the craziest, but like, yeah, we want to have a beach theme, it's February. We want to have a beach theme in our living room. How are we going to get all this sand into our living room so it feels like the beach, you know? These guys went all out. But that's transcendence, right? The music, the environment, it's transcendence. Then there's a list. The social chair always had a list. Of course, every brother was on the list, but then he also got to invite others girlfriends and some select friends. And if your name wasn't on the list, you're not allowed in. Status you can come in if you're on the list. And then belonging you're a real brother if you come and party with us. And what was interesting is in these chapter meetings, even with guys who were in the room, they would say, you don't party with us anymore. What do you have to do with our brotherhood? That partying wasn't just, it was, it was like, if you're one of us, you will come and do the things that we do together because you belong. This is what God has done for us, that we belong. That this Sunday morning, church service is not just a church service. It's not just religious ritual. This is us communicating something and entering into this story that God has given us. Transcendence, worship, it's not just song singing. It, it, is, it is invoking your mind and your emotions to grab a hold of that which we do not see, which is God. It is engaging and belonging to this group of people I was talking to a young woman who uh, is uh, new to our worship team. And I just, you, you just think about it. You know, you're in your early 20s and you're sitting there on the worship team with, you know, this gentleman that's in his 60s. You are brothers and sisters. You are brothers and sisters. That doesn't matter how different you look. But when we come here, we all belong to one another. We're all a part of the same thing, the same group of people belonging. And then Identity that we come because we are something. We are someone, and God has brought us into that identity. Celebrating claims our identity as a son and daughter of God. Celebrating claims our identity, your identity, as a son and daughter of God. The Passover feast, when when they celebrated this, they were claiming what was true about themselves. We belong to God, that's why we celebrate this thing. The, the passage that we just read, there was a whole lot of text about this thing called circumcision. Um, it, uh, circumcision for ancient Israel, this is before Christ, for ancient Israel, was the way in which they were set aside. It was a symbol marking them as something. Now, different uh, nations, Israel wasn't the only nation that practiced circumcision, but other nations practiced circumcision for different reasons. Israel took on and gave circumcision to their sons as a way of saying, "You are part of the family. Your circumcision means that you belong to God. You're part of God's people." Now what we have to understand is that they were bought. They weren't just given circumcision just to be given circumcision. Like they were given circumcision at a price, and that was the Passover feast. The Passover feast had to do with you know uh, the uh, slaughtering of a lamb. And then the covering of that blood and the feasting on the meat of, of that lamb. And that it was that sacrif- sacrificial lamb that actually bought them into God's people. Now, I kind of already covered this, but there, and it says it here in our text. Disobedience was a major problem. Israel's disobedience was a huge problem. God promised them this land and then Israel refused. God, they asked For God to provide for them, God provided for them. And then they grumbled and complained. All along the journey, they have refused and hesitated and not wanted to go along with where God was leading them. And it wasn't just their forefathers. It was these men themselves who took on circumcision that were disobedient. In Numbers 25, verses 1 and 2, it says of these same men that they were just like their dads and just like their grandfathers. It says, while Israel lived in Shittim, that's in the Bible, I didn't make it up, uh, that while Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. God's. God said, you will not worship like the other nations. And yet Israel engaged in this promiscuous, sexually immoral way of worshiping other gods, which also included child sacrifice. And Israel said, yeah, we want to be like the other nations, and so we're going to also do what they wanted to do. And so these guys were not blameless. They were not innocent. They were disobedient. And they had shame, just like us. And our culture bends over backwards to pretend as if we don't have shame. We bend over backwards with the narratives of, of, of a good person and everything's okay, or it's not your fault. And we try to cover our shame over as if it just can be covered over when we know it's present. I was talking to a young man a couple years ago and, uh, I was just, he was beginning to become interested in God. And I said, what is, you know, you had no interest in God before. Why are you interested in God now? He's like, everything like hasn't worked. And I was like, what do you mean everything hasn't worked? He's like, well, I have been, since I was growing up through adolescence, been told, man, if I just can sleep with a bunch of women, then like that's a good life. And that's going to like bring me pleasure. And I'm going to, you know, feel masculine. And uh, I'm going to have enjoyment in my life. And he's like, like, it doesn't matter how many women I'm with. Every single morning, I wake up feeling empty. He kept on going to the well, and it kept on being dry. And he said, on top of that, he said, on top of that, I now also feel like a failure. Because my friends tell me this is a life to live, and this is how I can be happy, and I keep on going there, and I'm not happy, and now I feel like I'm not doing it right. He felt a tremendous amount of guilt and shame, trying to pursue life in the way of our world, and it left him empty, and then he felt like he was failing the path that the world had given him. We have shame too. I have shame. I have absolutely known the right thing to do and done the opposite. I have absolutely purposely hurt people on purpose because it was more convenient for me, it was easier for me, or I didn't care about them, and I absolutely have been a victim of other people hurting me, of people taking things that belong to me, of people violating me, and yet, and yet, no matter how much people can say it's not your fault, you still feel shame. You still feel even if someone says, Well, that's not your fault, you still feel the shame of it. And what does God say here? I mean that he rolled away Israel's shame. He said, I see you for exactly who you are, I see you for the broken, disobedient person that you are, people that you are, and yet you still are my sons, you still are my daughters. You belong to me. Their identity, their being a son and daughter, was because God claimed them as his own. So for us, when we celebrate, we celebrate the fact that God claimed us. Not because we're good at living the life, not because we have it figured out, we're all that much more obedient as people who follow Jesus than those that don't, it's that God still said, I choose you. On that moment, in uh, Gibeath Ge- uh, Haraloth, something happened. When they took on circumcision, they called it the hill of foreskins, meaning that like, even though I didn't deserve it, God still claimed me as his own. And so our story runs along the same path that we can, this morning, say, man, I am not my shame. That you are not your shame. That you are not an accumulation of your own sins and your own failures, that you're not alone, that you're not just an individual, but you actually are part of God's family, that you are God's son, that you are God's daughter, and that you belong. That's what we celebrate. That's why we feast and make merry, because God did something for us that we couldn't do on our own. So celebrating is entrance into this grand story. It is claiming our identity as sons and daughters. And then lastly, celebrating refreshes our strength. Celebrating refreshes our strength. So we make decisions based on our emotions and desires. Like we just do. Science has proven it. I don't, I'm not just a cognitive being. I don't only make logical choices. I typically make the choices that I want. If I don't want to do something, I'm not going to do it. But if you can get me to want to do it, then I'll probably do it. And so we are a motive, uh, desire, uh, pleasure-seeking people, and feasting does something. Celebrating does something for that. There's something called a uh, neuro-linguistic programming. It's like a psychological approach. Neuro-linguistic programming. It's it's a way of engaging your senses to get you to uh, to do things that you don't necessarily want to do, or to help shape your reality if you wanted to feel different. So, for example. They've, like, done tests where uh, if you have, like, a bad memory, if you replay that memory with, like, a a funny soundtrack over top of it, it, like, rechanges your experience of that bad memory. So you can try it this week. Like, if you have a tough day at work, like, go into a room, replay that memory, that interaction with that boss, and play Taylor Swift's Shake It Off and see if it doesn't feel a lot better. I think what it's saying is that when we experience, and our experiences is, is uh, influenced by our senses, our emotions, and our desires, and God engages us in these things. Edward Bernay, who was Sigmund Freud's nephew, when he got back from World War II, uh, put, this, uh, put this into practice as he was helping companies market their products and get people to buy their stuff. And one thing, uh, Big Tobacco came and uh, initiated a conversation with uh, Edmund and said, hey, we have a problem we got a bunch of guys that will smoke, but women won't smoke. we got to get women to smoke. And so Edmund's like, man, I, I know what to do. So what does he start doing? You know, all, he begins to uh, put smoking into movies with women that are attractive right after there with a man. And so what, do you, what is he doing? He's pulling a desire and then associating it with cigarettes. And so all of a sudden, cigarettes are much more desirable and appealing because it's appealing to another human desire that we have. Here's my point. God is brilliant. God God didn't just, for the Israelites, just in that moment say, hey, you're circumcised, you're my people. What did he do? He said, now I'm going to engage you in something you enjoy doing, which is eating really good food and drinking really good wine and having a good time with one another. He, he takes the, the symbol, sign of circumcision, that you're my sons, you're my daughters, and then he says, and now let's feast together. He's helping them grab a hold of their identity by engaging their emotions. That Passover marries the symbolism that, the symbolism that God was making these people for himself with these innate human instincts and desires. Passover was typically accompanied with song singing and feasting with meat, which was not very common for them to eat from, communal prayers, fellowship, and merry-making, that God is engaging the whole person as he's helping them live out and experience this uh, story. God anchors our desires with our identity through feasting and celebrating. God anchors our desires and our identity through feasting and through celebrating that when we come here on Sunday, we're not just putting an hour in. We're not just putting in our time. We're not just trying to get the monkey off our back. We're not just trying to check some boxes off. God brings us in here that we would engage our emotions and desires, that we would sing with one another, and towards him that we would enter into the transcendence of seeing God and worshiping him, being in fellowship with one another, and locking arms with each other that he would help us actually live out and embody our sonship and daughtership through celebration. He's incredible. God is incredible. What's really beautiful is that God this whole time is communicating that he's a central figure of it all. Things get tiring when you feel like you have to do it on your own or you don't have the resources, but God continues to communicate to Israel, I'm at the center of this thing. They feast and they celebrate before they even Begin to take possession of the land before they even begin to do the hard work. Because God is saying, Hey, I brought you out of Egypt. I kept you in the wilderness. In this next leg of the journey, I got you there too. When we come here and celebrate with one another, and as we think about moving out into our weeks, God says, I got you. God says, I'm going to be with you as you live out that meaning and that purpose. Jesus is all over this story. Jesus is all over this story. Gebiath Haraloth means hill of foreskins, and that same mount, that same hill, became Golgotha, where Christ put Himself on the cross for us. That no longer would Israel have to cut their own skin or shed their own blood, but Jesus would finally be the last sacrifice. Gilgal is a Hebrew word meaning or sounding like to roll away. God said, I roll away your shame. And our shame was rolled away that day that that stone was rolled away from Christ's grave. Yeah. That he came out and was alive. And we know that we are his, that we belong to him, and that we have an eternal destiny with him. Because he continues to put us in that story to refresh us and remind us of that we are his sons and daughters so why are we here I mean, we're here to celebrate so let us this morning enter into that great redemptive story let us take up being his sons and daughters and let us refresh ourselves in him let me pray god you are incredible you are magnificent Father, that you would bring us to yourself, not because we've deserved it or earned it. God, I am the least worthy one to be a follower of you. And yet, we are not defined by our past. We're not defined by the things we've done. We're defined by the fact that you chose us. And you solidified that by nailing your son on the cross. And you showed us that our story doesn't end in death, but actually ends in eternal life when your son got out of the grave. So Father, would we this morning enter into that? Would you refresh us with those truths? God, help us to engage with you in our emotions and our desires that we would live these things out in the rest of our weeks. We thank you so much for laying this pathway uh, open to us that we might have meaningful celebration with you. Amen.